Welcome to episode 25 in the second season of Justice with John Carpe, the podcast from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms. I'm the show's producer, Kevin Steele, and I'm here with our host, John Carpe, who is the president and founder of the Center. Today, our main topic is the federal government's introduction of Bill C-36, which targets so-called hate speech online. Bill C-36 follows quickly on the heels of the minority liberals passing Bill C-10, with the complicity of the NDP and the Bloc, which gives the CRTC the power to go after social media entities in Canada. Many are seeing these two bills as a full frontal attack on free speech in this country, a great reset allowing the elites to silence all dissent wrapped up in the pretty package of protecting Canadians from hate. Actually, it's the government pitting Canadians against each other and presenting themselves as our saviors. Well, we don't need your thought control, as the song says. But before we get into that, we'll bring you some updates on the Centre, starting with the case of Dr. Francis Christian, a doctor in Saskatchewan who has been cancelled by the medical bureaucracy there for essentially telling the truth, something that the medical colleges and the universities obviously don't want people to hear. The suppression of free speech of doctors by medical colleges was the topic of last week's podcast. And the reason Dr. Christian wasn't included in that show was that the situation was developing as we were recording. So, John, can you bring us up to date on Dr. Francis Christian? Well, Francis Christian is a clinical professor of general surgery at the University of Saskatchewan. He's a practicing surgeon in Saskatoon. And... uh, He's been, like more and more doctors, thankfully, are, are speaking out publicly, and he's been uh, a critic of lockdowns. And, uh, of course, you know, we've previously talked about how, how the, the medical colleges are just uh, horrible censors and anti-science by chilling debate on mm. lockdowns and, and uh, effectively threatening doctors who try to raise these valid legitimate concerns about the harms that lockdowns are having on their patients as they're required by the, the, uh, the Hippocratic oath to care for their patients. So here you have government policy that's harmful to patients and the medical colleges say, Oh no, 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 you can't say that way. All the doctors have to line up behind the government and media narrative. I mean, this is, this is totalitarian. It's, mm-hmm. there's just no two ways about it. it, it it's like you, you cannot, you have to subscribe to the party line. You can't say anything else because the government has decided that a certain thing is true. And with the government having decided that, everybody has to get in line with that. I mean, that is, that is totalitarian. So what happened on, uh, on June the 23rd, uh, just right after our, Last, I think it was happening while we were doing last week's. Uh, That's right. Yeah, uh, I got the notification right after the, after we signed off. I saw all of a sudden I get this press release. It just coincidentally we're actually on point. That's why there was nothing in the previous podcast about that. Anyway, sorry, John, go ahead. So he was called. This is uh, by the way. All this information is is on our website www.jccf.ca. So Dr. Francis Christian was called into a meeting on June the 23rd and suspended from all teaching responsibilities, effective immediately, and fired from his position with the University of Saskatchewan, effective September 2021. And uh, I'm going to read to you the the statement that Dr. Christian uh, released to over 200 doctors expressing some concerns about the vaccines. So on the 17th of June, Dr. Francis Christian uh, said, quote, Good afternoon. I'm a practicing surgeon and I work in Saskatoon. I do not represent any group. I do not represent the Saskatchewan Health Authority or the University of Saskatchewan. I am directly addressing parents and children. I speak directly to you as a physician, a surgeon, and a fellow human being. I am a very pro-vaccine physician. I'm only too aware of the great scourges of mankind, including smallpox, that have been eliminated or made innocuous by vaccination. I'm also pro-vaccine for my own family, including myself. During the COVID-19 pandemic, I've continued to work actually looking after patients in my clinics and in operating rooms. 
I want to start by thanking my colleagues, the nurses and physicians who have risen selflessly and splendidly to the task of caring for COVID-19 patients in Saskatoon and around the world. I also want to thank the blue-collar workers, the truck drivers, the grocery store workers, the small business owners, the farmers, who have been working tirelessly to supply us physicians with the essentials of life. Their exposure to peril and their, and their rising splendidly to the needs of society at this hour is as valuable as healthcare workers, and arguably much more valuable than government and public health officials. And now I shall directly address parents and their children. Parents all want the best for their children. I'm a parent and recently and joyfully a grandparent. I too want what is best for my kids. In medicine, there is a sacrosanct principle before any kind of drug or treatment or intervention is administered to the public. It is the principle of informed consent. This principle is very simple and yet has truth, science, and humanity at its heart. Very simply, the person by whom the drug, vaccine, treatment, or intervention is administered must always make the patient fully aware of the risks of the medical intervention, the benefits of the intervention, and if any alternatives exist to the intervention. This should apply particularly to a new vaccine that has never before been tried in humans. This new mRNA vaccine is now being administered at warp speed to children as young as 12 and 13. Parents must give informed consent to this new vaccine. Before the vaccine is rolled out to children, both children and parents must know the risks of mRNA vaccines to children, any benefit to children, and any alternatives to vaccines. The principle of informed consent is being consistently violated in this province for the mRNA vaccine for our kids. I have not met a single vaccinated child or parent who has been adequately informed and who then understand the risks of this vaccine or its benefits. Parents and children, and here we get into the meat of the, the science on this. Parents and children must, at a minimum, know the following before they give consent. Number one, that the mRNA vaccine is new, experimental vaccine design and has never been used in humans before. Number two, that the mRNA vaccine has not been fully authorized by either Health Canada or by the CDC in the USA, or in most nations around the world. In Canada, they are under interim authorization. In the USA, the CDC has them under, quote, emergency youth authorization, quote. Full vaccine approval takes several years and multiple safety considerations. This has not happened with mRNA vaccines. Number three, that in order to qualify for, quote, emergency youth use authorization, there must be an emergency. For the elderly population, for the vulnerable, for healthcare workers, there is, of course, an emergency. Several thousand people in Canada have died of COVID-19. But the mean age of those who have died is 83.8. There is therefore a strong case for vaccinating the elderly, the vulnerable, and healthcare workers. COVID-19 does not pose a threat to our kids. The risk of them dying of COVID is less than 0.003%. This is even less than the risk of children dying of the flu. There is no emergency in children. Point number four, children do not readily transmit the COVID virus to adults, and adults should be immune or vaccinated anyway. In many countries, teachers had significantly lower rates of COVID-19 than the general population. Point number five, the mRNA vaccines have already been associated with several thousand deaths in the vaccine adverse reporting system maintained by the U.S. government. These appear to be unusual compared to the total number of vaccines administered, but they are a strong signal and cannot be ignored. As of June 4th, 2021, in just a few months, 5,888 deaths have been associated with the mRNA vaccines. Uh, point number six, the mRNA vaccine is already causing significant, serious medical problems for kids all over the world. There is a real and significantly increased risk of a condition called myocarditis, inflammation of the heart, for those kids vaccinated with the mRNA vaccine. Myocarditis is a serious condition with long-term implications for some children. Some children can die with myocarditis. 
Point number seven, the benefit of the vaccine in preventing COVID-19 for kids is marginal at best. Point number eight, the drug ivermectin is the alternative both for kids and for adults. And there are other early treatment alternatives. This common, cheap, and very safe drug is being blocked in many Western countries. And that concludes the eight points. And he says that is what informed consent at its minimum for our children and parents should look like. I urge our authorities to call a pause in the mRNA vaccine rollout to our kids. Informed consent is not being given to parents and children in Saskatchewan for mRNA vaccines for children. Without informed consent, the Nuremberg Code is being violated, and many physicians across Canada and around the world are rising up to honour their pledge to always put their patients and humanity first. Dr. Francis Christian. Now, if science was in charge, you know, people like to think we're a very scientific society and, you know, we're, we're so superior to the medieval people who were all superstitious. And we're not superstitious dream. today. We're all science-based yeah. and science-informed. It's just a big slogan because if, if, if we actually took science seriously, well, f- first of all, you don't censor, uh, you refute and you rebut and through the clash of ideas, you arrive at the truth, or at least you have a better chance of arriving at the truth when yeah. you have the clash of ideas. So if we were uh, if we were even a fraction as scientific as we like to think of ourselves in this society, then the uh, medical authorities in Saskatchewan, uh, the people that fired Dr. Uh, Dr. Francis Christian from his post, what they would come out with, and I'll just do a very quick recap of, mm-hmm. of the eight points. Here, if science ruled the day, here is what the health authorities in Saskatchewan should be making the case for. The health authorities should say that the mRNA vaccine is not new and is not experimental, and it has been used in humans before. The health authorities should say that the mRNA vaccines have been fully authorized by Health Canada and by the the CDC, Center for Disease Control in the U.S. The health authorities should argue that there is valid emergency use authorization because COVID uh, doesn't just threaten the elderly, it threatens everybody and it threatens children. The health authorities should come out with evidence to say that children do readily transmit the COVID virus to adults. The health authorities should argue that mRNA vaccines are not associated with several thousand deaths and that the mRNA vaccine is not causing serious medical problems for kids, is not causing myocarditis in children, uh, is not causing children to die. Uh, that the benefits of the health authority should argue that the benefits of the vaccine in preventing COVID-19 for kids are huge. And they should come up with evidence to say that uh, ivermectin is completely useless and possibly harmful. That is what would happen if science ruled the ruled the day. But no, what do they do? They fire him. <laughs> yeah, well, the firing, as far as I'm concerned, I my interpretation of that was uh, them saying guilty as charged. So we're just going to cancel you. Yeah, you know. So that's the real benefit here. I'm I'm sorry for what happened to Dr. Francis Christian, but obviously he has hit a nerve and exposed them, and uh, they reacted harshly and uh, without. I would say uh, wisdom. That's the benefit to his uh, firing is the fact that it becomes plain to more and more people. They will brook no criticism because they have nothing to stand on. That's my position. So well, this, with, with this kind of behavior, I think it's, it's fair and appropriate to describe these people as health fascists. They're behaving exactly like fascists. Fascists okay. censor debate and they say, this is uh, <laughs> what we believe is the truth and you're going to get in line what, with what we determine to be truth. It is the antithesis of the free society. It is the antithesis of science. So we are representing Dr. Christian, and um, there'll be a wrongful dismissal and employment law matters, and there'll be constitutional issues. And um, you should go to news releases at www.jccf.ca. There's lots of other... Uh, information, but we should, we've only got an hour, so we should 
move on to yeah we're going to get to our main topic and uh yeah that, that one I, we had to mention because that was kind of the elephant in the room why didn't you cover that in your last podcast because it was happening actually as we were recording it and unfortunately or i should say fortunately we just happened to be exactly on point just without that particular case so also, I guess we should uh, – I just want you to mention about the tickets. This is interesting. Uh, lots more tickets in Alberta are getting dropped. I guess that's a good sign. They. Uh, it's good they for the back- clients, and mm-hmm. uh, on the whole, it's good. What's sad about it is that the governments are terrified of court actions where they are called upon to put forward the – medical evidence and the scientific evidence to support lockdowns because what the justice center does when we get when somebody comes to us and they they've pled not guilty to a ticket we write to the crown prosecutors we ask for disclosure which is basically the the crown's case the evidence against the person we ask for disclosure and then we put the the crown prosecutors on notice that we're going to challenge the constitutionality of the health order itself and that that is the defense that we are putting forward right typically we're not going to argue that you know, Jane Doe was not uh, protesting peacefully outdoors on, you know, September the 3rd, 2020. We're not, that that would be ridiculous to deny that. We know that uh, these people were peacefully exercising their charter freedom. So we're not disputing that, that they were outside, you know. um, But the defense is they were exercising their charter freedoms. Yeah. Yeah. The defense is that the health order itself is not justified and if there's any science behind these measures, the government would uh, relish the opportunity to put the evidence before the court. They would only need to do it once because if if there is one one of these ticket cases, as I call them, right? Somebody's got their $1,200, $1,300, $2,000 cases. If there is one of these ticket cases where the government did put in the evidence and there was a court ruling to say, yes, these lockdown measures are, are backed by science, well, then that would be the precedent, right? So mm. it's it's not it's not like they have to reprove it in every ticket case. And still, they're running away. And so we have uh, Tony Allen participated in a freedom walk in downtown Calgary, uh, December t- uh, of 2020. Jaina Dykstra, Calgary woman, uh, was also ticketed in uh, December 2020 while walking with her husband or two children and friends on the way to another peaceful rally against lockdowns. Uh, Suzanne Delane and her partner Jason Reinhardt participated in Downtown Calgary Freedom Walk January 2021. Also January 2021, Helen Innes attended a Freedom Walk in Calgary. And so all of these people uh, are getting their $1,200 ticket withdrawn. And so that's good, but it's it's pretty sad that that the government won't won't put yeah. forward the science in court. And the silver lining on that, it's it's good because it shows that obviously lockdowns are not scientific and, and, and there's no medical evidence to justify them. If there was, the government would put us unhinged conspiracy theorists in our place. Right. Yeah. I Just a technical question on these uh, withdrawn tickets. Do they send a notice to the Justice Center as representatives of these people or do they send them – like you get a notice in the mail saying – well, we're dropping this. Uh, you know, what are they? How do? What's the? What's sort of the procedure for them getting rid of these tickets? They just say they send a letter to, to the justice center because we're the <laughs> we're the ones who told the crown that we're expecting them to put the medical and scientific evidence. Oh, I see. The okay. So usually, if somebody is represented, what typically happens and what is supposed to happen is that the other side is supposed to talk to the lawyer only. So once somebody has legal representation, the crown prosecutor is no longer supposed to talk to that individual at all. Right, they okay. are supposed to talk only to the lawyer, so we're the ones getting the letters that uh, that these tickets are uh, are being dropped by the crown. Did they, they say at all why they're dropping them, or are they just sort of no, them? no, they don't. Eh? Okay, <laughs> no, exp- that's what I really wanted to get to. <laughs> we were letters. trembling in our boots at the prospect of having to actually put forward some science to back up lockdowns. We are not willing to do that, so we're gonna we're gonna drop the ticket. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. Yeah, we can assume that they just use these tickets as scare tactics. Uh, obviously, that's what the uh, the government was using them for. Or I should say Alberta Health Services. because Which, uh, which is the government, I mean, effectively. Yes, it is the government. Yeah, I know. but uh, it's, it's a wing. The police is the government. The Alberta Health Services is yeah, the government, the health bureaucrats. But they are – it's helpful to talk about distinctions. They are different, you know, entities. I mean, the police force is not Alberta Health Services – 
Uh, yeah, the the people that pay the price are the politicians for this, uh, you know, because they're the ones they're the public face of this. And you and I have been behind the scenes going back and forth on who's really to blame for this. So <laughs> I'm just I'm trying to make I guess subtle distinctions here to win that argument behind the scenes that were happening. So I just I won't go on with that. Um, but I think I think the politicians ultimately are more at fault than the than the chief medical officers. Uh, although the chief medical officers, in their aggressive stance against treatments that could save people's lives from COVID, even some lives, not all lives, their hostility to ivermectin, their hostility to vitamin D is inexcusable and, and utterly shameful that the chief medical officers, uh, Dina Hinshaw in Alberta is one example. She swore in an affidavit, uh, there are no cures, therapies, or drugs that can work against COVID, period. Yeah, that's going to be a good one. I, mean, I like that. Like, wow, there are... Yeah, we got it signed. That's great. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, that's going to come up in the future, I'm sure. She's so. going to be cross-examined on that. I, I just, I think it'll be beautiful when uh, she's presented with each of the 97 medical and scientific studies and reports that uh, talk about how vitamin D is very helpful. And even if vitamin D is only effective in for, you know, one third of, of, of the people... Uh, that, you know, in, in, uh, considering that 15,000, uh, Canadians died with COVID in 2020, if, if more vitamin D was effective in one third of the cases, that would mean 5,000 lives saved. Conversely, the chief medical officers in the medical establishment has the blood of 5,000 people on their hands by suppressing uh, or by way of their hostility to vitamin D and their hostility to, to ivermectin, uh, mm. you know, a, a cure uh, or a preventative does not have to be perfect in order to be useful. You know, therapeutics they're called, yeah. yeah. As opposed to a ther- therapeutic, yeah. if a therapeutic works a third of the time and doesn't cause harm in the other two thirds of the people, uh, then why why shouldn't that be? brought forward. So there again, you know, lack, lack of science. Right. Yeah. I, I'll actually stick a, a new article I found down in show notes. Uh, I didn't get a chance to send it to you, John. It was in presented in something called conservative woman that was basically the war against ivermectin that just kind of lays out how it's been used around the world and how it was, uh, say prevented from being used in uh, first world nations like uh, Canada and the U S uh, that type of thing. And that's, that, that's going to be very very important stuff coming up as far as I'm concerned, because it, uh, you know, there's a good chance there was real malfeasance here. Anyways. Um, but that's, and that's, that's one of the characteristics of totalitarianism. It's this rigid fanatical fixation on one thing. And so it's, it's lockdowns are the only answer. And then you get this hostility towards anything else and, you know, f- forget about the facts. Right, yeah. Uh, there's one other thing I want to mention here, and I'm, I'm kind of dropping this on you. Again, I didn't get a chance to send you this. It was an article that I was looking at uh, on a site called National News Watch. They have a, they're a kind of like a liberal cheerleader site run by, I think, a guy named Bruce Anderson. Anyways, there was an article in there from the Canadian press about how they, uh, this, uh, group is uh, saying that their COVID may have killed a lot more people in Canada than we actually know. Uh, it was, a <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, they're going to try to recategorize more deaths as uh, COVID going back. And it's going to be interesting if they attempt to do this, because this is going to run into the data that you guys collected and publicized uh, early on. So they're going to- well, a, Portuguese, a Portuguese court ruled recently that the there were only 156 actual COVID deaths, contrary to the 17,000 that had been claimed by the government authorities. Yeah. I've not yet read the decision, but uh, I, I think there's there's an awful lot of uh, over-reporting, uh, inaccurate reporting that's been taking place. Uh, the reason I brought this up, actually, I was just the article was called uh – COVID deaths in Canada may be two times higher than reported study. And then it's all just maybe, you know, suggests this. Obviously, what this is is some kind of signal that they're going to try to juice the numbers again. The interesting thing is, and I just want to mention this because 
I flagged the article on that news, Newswatch site, and then I went and checked to see where it was uh, reprinted. I saw it was in the National Post, and I thought, okay, I'm going to come back to this because I want to read the comments. Uh, when I came back to their page, it had disappeared from the page, and I couldn't even find it on the Toronto Star page. Finally, through a search, I found it in the National Post. The comments had grown, and they were just hammering them. And I read all these comments, and I thought, this is really good. These people are, you know, they're questioning this really hard. And uh, obviously, this was not the time for the forces that be to release this kind of hint that they're going to be jigging the statistics again, because, you know, a lot of Canadians seem aware of it. And, you know, I thought... Well, maybe we are winning the war of ideas here because Canadians seem pretty well informed and quite willing to question the narrative, which is something some that- Canadians, but not enough yet. Uh, oh no, not enough yet. Yeah, we're we're taking all kinds of hits in the international press, uh, not the international press. I should say international social media, Canadians for being sheep. Um, but I will say one thing. I just just to finish up before we get on to the the C ten. There was a great report by Rebel Media by, I forget her name. She was a French-Canadian woman that is working for Rebel Media. She went uh, to a protest, or there was a film of a protest in the Jean Talon market. I believe that's in, uh, I think that was in Montreal. Anyways, it was a terrific protest. It was all these people in white hazmat suits with these white NPC masks on and they were doing sort of this slow pantomime while this voice in the background on the loudspeaker read in kind of this uh, white courtesy telephone voice your family is your enemy you know you must <laughs> trust authorities and these people just sort of did these slow movements and it was the most creative I will say the most creative anti-lockdown anti-narrative protests that I have seen from around the world. I mean, this was just brilliant. I don't know who they were that were doing this, but uh, I really hope that uh, they they go on tour because <laughs> it was really good. Anyways, uh, now, having, uh, I guess, given my plaudits out there, we just got to mention quickly the victory in federal court, I think, of the summer camps case. This is something that was going on in the background. I think it actually... Uh, predates the whole COVID thing, but you can see the wheels of justice turning, grinding on slowly. And you just want to mention that because I think it's it's worth uh, you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. We're uh, we're thrilled to get a court victory, uh, federal court of Canada, Tuesday, June the 29th. The Justice Center's client is uh, BCM International, and uh, that is uh, Mill Street Bible Camp. And uh, they were denied the funding from the Canada Summer Jobs Program because the federal government decided to review their uh, statement of faith, which is kind of a a uh, kind of a regular, typical evangelical Christian statement of faith with you know A B C D E, uh, the kind of mm-hmm. thing that a lot of evangelical churches would would believe in. And uh, on the basis of the camp's religious beliefs, the government somehow decided that that there was a problem with that. Uh, Mill Street Bible Camp runs week-long summer camps in July and August for youth ages 5 to 15. Camps are dedicated to developing Christian character in young people and leadership skills in youth and adults through spiritual, physical, mental, and social experiences in a camping environment and through their summer programs. The $45,000, had it been granted, would have been used to hire six additional staff, and these would be young people, 18 to, to 20. Not sure if 17 and 16-year-olds can also get it that way, probably, yes. And Anyway, kind of like young adults that are going to be youth leaders, group leaders, team leaders in the camp, and obviously... The more of those youth leaders that you can hire, the more kids you can take in. And the camp has always had open doors to financially strapped families. I mean, there are, there are families that simply, even if the price for the summer camp for the whole week was $100, there are parents that they don't have $100 to send their kids to camp, even if it was a reduced uh, uh, tuition. So they've always welcomed kids from low-income families to come to the camps free of charge. 
and then others get charged uh, kind of a re- regular fee. And uh, so they, they were. Uh, they, this has really prevented underprivileged kids, a certain number of them, from enjoying uh, canoeing and swimming and songs around the campfire and roasting marshmallows. So very, very cruel. But the court set this aside. So it's a victory for Mill Street Bible Camp and indirectly a victory for uh, the Justice Center. And all and, Canadians. And, and, it's, and it's a victory for, for all Canadians. And hopefully the federal government will pay heed to this and uh, not devote taxpayer-funded resources to reading through the uh, statements of faith of of, of don't Christian count Bible on camps. it, buddy. Yeah, don't, don't count, count on, it. on it. But uh, no, that's great. I, hey, quickly, uh, did you ever go to summer camp? I did as a as a child. Yeah, two or three years. It was this camp oh, north you, of uh, it's in somewhere in northern BC, and uh, it 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 was a good time. It was a week long camp. Yeah. Oh, lucky you! I never did. You know, I just ran wild in the neighborhood, <laughs> like everybody else in my neighborhood. We were lower middle class and. Uh, I think the summer camps were available, not to the extent they were now. So it sounds delightful, though, and I'm very glad that uh, more kids will be able to go to camp. Excellent. Well done, Justice Center. Okay, moving on. C10, C36. We're looking at the resurrection of Section 13. Uh, this uh, There's a great column by Mark Stein that gives you background on Section 13 and his battle back with McLean's magazine when they published an excerpt from his book on terrorism and how that uh, Section 13 was struck down through a private member's bill. Now through C10, it appears... That the uh, hang on C thirty six. Sorry, I'm getting it mixed up. C thirty six. They're bringing. Yeah, too it many back. numbers in there. Well, yeah. Let's, okay. Let's, yeah. Let's, let's, let's break is them. the CRTC thing, and C thirty six is the hate speech thing. But yeah. they work together as a piece. In fact, uh, I think you're going to explain that right now. I hope right off the top. Go ahead. So excellent column by Candace Malcolm in the Toronto Sun. Uh, so uh, Bill C-10, which we had discussed this uh, a few weeks ago, this uh, ago. this lets the government, it, it makes the internet subject to the CRTC, uh, the um, Canadian Radio Television and Telecommunications Commission. So it, the internet is now subjected to a Canadian government body, the CRTC. And this will give bureaucrats, guided by the uh, by the politicians that are elected, the power to meddle in the content that you see online. So again, uh, totalitarianism is rapidly descending upon us. And some people will say this is you know overly dramatic or conspiratorial, but I mean this is this is nakedly totalitarian. The Canadian government now has control over content on the internet. And this is taking it to a new level. I mean, it was already the criminal code uh, prohibition on the willful promotion of hatred, section 319 of the criminal code already made it illegal to willfully promote hatred against an identifiable group. So there's already a law that if, if, uh, if, if, if John Smith in Saskatoon you know, created a website that said that, you know, whatever, uh, Jews or gays or women or whatever group, you know, they should all be killed or something. That's already a, uh, a criminal code offense. But this gives the CRTC extended powers to monitor, uh, the internet, uh, more so than, um, than what it was previously with mm-hmm. simply having the, uh, the anti hate speech, uh, provision in the criminal code. So C10 seeks to regulate everything from Facebook to Netflix to Google and potentially replace those companies' algorithms with a government-approved one. Uh, This would allow the feds to push content they like and hide content that they don't, uh, says Candace uh, Malcolm. So C10 has been rushed through. They... uh, Yeah, passed uh, in the middle of the night. Yeah. Yeah. Michael Geis at... uh, Law and technology prof that is well respected uh, said that the, the 
we saw the government limiting debate, overruling its own committee chair, and using every available procedural maneuver to get the bill passed in the House of Commons before the House of Commons uh, recessed in the summer. And the Liberals were supported by the Bloc and the NDP, both. So NDP had some cold feet about it for a while, and they said, well, we have to be concerned about you know freedom of expression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, they helped the Liberals to, uh, to rush this through. Then it support gets the basic dictatorship is what they did. Support, yeah, China. <laughs> That's a reference to uh, Trudeau admiring China's basic dictatorship. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. And it's basically what we're getting here now. So so we just wanted to throw that in there. I think everybody would pick it up, pick up on the hint. Anyways. So now we're going to C-36 has been introduced at first reading this is the most chilling and most aggressive attack on free speech that that I have ever seen. Uh, 53 years old, have lived in Canada since the age of seven, and there's never been this kind of uh, an attack on free speech. So hate speech is already illegal. And Candace Malcolm uh, sums it up very well. So I'm going to read the, uh, it's going to read from her, for, from, uh, her Toronto Sun column. C-36 seeks to expand the government's power to crack down on messages and comments the government doesn't like based on subjective and ill-defined criteria. Perhaps worst of all is the mechanism that could be used to pull down content the government doesn't like. Bill C-36 gives the Canadian Human Rights Commission the power to compel citizens to cease online communication or pay a monetary fine. Compelling Canadians to remove content under threat of a fine or worse is only part of what Trudeau has already told us is his ultimate goal. After Trudeau won a minority election in 2019, his mandate letter to Heritage Minister Guibault laid out his top priorities. In that letter, Trudeau ordered the government to, quote, create new regulations for social media platforms, starting with the requirement that all platforms remove illegal content, including hate speech, within 24 hours or face significant penalties. End of quote. I'll go back to... Candace Malcolm's column in, in a moment. This is what the difference is. Okay, so it was already illegal. Like I gave my John Smith in Saskatoon says, you know, death to such and such group. These are all vile scum and mm-hmm. we, should, we should kill them all. Okay, without C-36, if somebody saw that on the internet, they could report it to the RCMP and John Smith in Saskatoon could be prosecuted for violating the criminal code. So that's already there. So for people, you know, and, the, and that that section, by the way, was 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 upheld by a narrow, I forget if it was five to four or four to three, but the the Supreme Court of Canada narrowly upheld it as a valid restriction on free expression. But almost half of the court said that it was too chilling on free speech and would have struck it down as unconstitutional. So it was narrowly upheld. Um, Should have been. It does chill speech to uh, to some extent. I think even the Supreme Court majority recognized that, but they felt that it was it was worthwhile. But this is moving. This is taking it to a whole new level now. The government is ordering the. Uh, this is not just you know wait until a crime has been committed, uh, wait until somebody has put the death to such and such group type of a thing on the internet and then prosecute that person. No, 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 no. This is now that the social media platforms must proactively monitor their their sites. Well, what do you think is going to happen when you've got a threat of fines? They're going to err on the side of removal just to be safe, Censorship, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're going to see all the social media, uh, anything that might be transphobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anything basically uh, Trudophobic, sorry, Trudophobic. And anything that is conservative or libertarian or politically incorrect is going to be rapidly removed. And the social media platforms are going to err on the side of removal, which is sort of, which is understandable, right? If you're a business and you want to avoid, you know, a $100,000 fine or whatever amount, you're going to be extra cautious. You know, this is why so many businesses and restaurants are all enforcing ridiculous and unscientific health regulations that they don't believe in and that they know are are not backed by science, but they enforce those rules anyway, because they could get their business license pulled. A chilling effect, I think. It's a a very chilling effect. And so in the same way that the health fascists have uh, harnessed 
every business in in Canada to be a policeman and to police all of this garbage because the business could get in trouble for not policing it. And now you've got the federal government harnessing private companies to remove anything that might be offensive. Right. Yeah. So, so back to Candace Malcolm. I'm gonna, she's more eloquent than I am. Uh, Candace writes, removing content the liberals do not like within 24 hours, no less, erases any possibility for due process or appeal. It allows the government to play judge and jury and compel technology companies to do their dirty work. These internet censorship laws have no place in a free and open society. And I couldn't agree more. Canada's traveling rapidly down the road to serfdom, which is mm-hmm. a column I would like to write or a, a longer piece. Uh, Canada is far advanced on the road to serfdom, that being the, the title of uh, Friedrich Hayek's 1944 right, which book. you are reading, yeah. Yeah, you told me about that. Can I interject here with a little bit of uh, my own input here? It's kind of diverting from where no, you No, you may not. Focus. I'm going to censor you. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, I'm holding up my hand. <laughs> Can I be acknowledged? Yes. Okay, this is what I want to say. The most telling thing in this column to me is uh, this quote from uh, Gilbeau. Quote, now this is going to be a controversial. People think that C-10 was controversial. Wait until we table this legislation, he said, doing his best impression of a Bond villain. Lo and behold, less than 24 hours after the Liberals rammed through C-10, Justice Minister David Lametti tabled C-36, a bill to crack down on so-called hate propaganda, hate crimes, and hate speech. So they know what they're doing. They know this is going to cause a stir. And to me, this is electioneering. They're doing this because they're setting up for an election. It's part of their divide and conquer not agenda, but their election strategy is basically to get people riled up, and then they're going to rile up people against the the people that got riled up. I mean, it's all of a piece as far as I'm concerned. I see nothing but racism, racism uh, in the news these days. It's definitely just a divide and conquer. They want they want to pit people against themselves and then present themselves as the saviors. And uh, I, for one, am not buying it. I hope my fellow Canadians don't buy it either. This stuff is dangerous to our society, and I don't think that they should get away with it. I'm not suggesting what you should do to uh, get rid of it, but uh, I'm telling you, I agree with John that this is a totalitarian and, as I said, a basic dictatorship. Back to you, John. Thank you for letting me say that. No, I agree. Uh, Blacklock's reporter quotes uh, Minister Giebel. Uh, saying that the bill is intended to produce a, quote, safe and inclusive online environment, an environment that protects everyone. So this is also nakedly totalitarian. It's this government notion, we we have to take away your rights and freedoms in order to protect you. We have to protect you from terrorists. We have to protect you from capitalists. We have to protect you from... uh, from the French, the from the Jews, from this, from that. Yeah. We got to, you know, mm-hmm. protect you from a virus that has a ninety-nine point seven seven percent survival rate. It's always about uh, this this so-called protection. It's a very common uh, theme. And then he says, "You can never come up with a perfect piece of legislation." Well, no, this one's pure evil, and he's trying to suggest <laughs> that there could be, you know, that, that like there there could be the perfect law that perfectly censors speech. And he's magnanimously, you know, in his great humility, he's admitting that that his law doesn't meet the standard of, of perfection, right? But this is very twisted thinking. In order to protect you, we're going to have to break a few eggs. Those eggs yeah. happen to be the ones that oppose us, but, you know, it's the price you have to pay for protection. So in addition to the criminal code uh, provisions that have been on the books since 1970, Bill C-36 would further amend the code to allow house arrest, electronic monitoring, or jail for anyone suspected on reasonable grounds of thinking they might commit an offense motivated by bias, prejudice, or hate based on their internet writings, regardless if they were convicted of a crime. So this allows people to report on their neighbors and uh, haul them before a judge uh, if if the neighbor suspects that you may be writing this kind of stuff. I, right. This is this is so far over the top. It is, uh, it's almost, 
it's almost beyond description. Yeah, I know. They obviously know it too. Obviously, that's what they've done. It's you know maybe it's a bargaining tactic. Maybe we're just we're gonna throw it all at the wall here, and uh, and then we'll back down, and that'll make us appear reasonable. You know, could be something. Well, like they'll, that. they'll probably know, so. do a. They'll, they'll, they they might you know withdraw certain small aspects and and tone it down a bit. Mm. But as it stands right now, the 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 Justice Department, the Federal Justice Department has said that the measures would apply to public communications by individual users of the internet, including on social media, on personal websites, and in mass email, blog posts, online news sites, operators of websites that primarily publish their own content. So it's, it's everything. Everything on the internet, if C36 mm. passes, is... Uh, is now subjected to fines. I mean, this is wow. This makes this yeah, makes Bill well, C ten you know, giving. Yeah, this this makes C ten seem absolutely innocuous. You know, subjecting uh, the YouTube uploading to, uh, to to the CRTC. Uh, th- this is the end of free speech in Canada, effectively, if C thirty six comes through. Yeah, and I, it's an opportunity, though I think, for Canadians to stand up and stamp this out. Uh, you know, presuming we have a free and fair election, that we uh, we should be able to take this notion and uh, thoroughly uh, put it down. You know, once and for all. I hope. But I, I guess it's a good say. thing it's been introduced on first reading now, so that we it's not it's not going to be addressed in Parliament until the fall. This gives us uh, a window of two or three months to mobilize support against. C-36, and it is imperative that all uh, pro-freedom organizations, including the Justice Center, but, you know, every other group that that supports the free society mobilize against C-36. Mm-hmm. And it's imperative that individual Canadians mobilize against uh, C-36 as well. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's important that Canadians recognize it for what it is, a divide and conquer strategy. It's divide and conquer to pit Canadians against each other. You know, uh, it's the it's our critical race theory uh, type thing. You know, I mean, that's what they're using it here for, as far as I'm and concerned. And note the slogan, eh? safe and inclusive online environment. Safe. Safe for whom? It's, it's not safe for libertarians and conservatives and religious people to express their opinions. It's not safe. So this isn't about protecting everyone. And then inclusive – that's it's also protecting the power. Uh, it's an Orwellian. It's an Orwellian buzzword. It's a code word. Yeah. Uh, no, it's about protecting what, the power. That's all. You know, protecting so. protecting power and enforcing uh, social justice warrior ideology. Uh, this is what our, our staff lawyer Lisa Bildy fought against so successfully two years ago with the uh, on. Ontario Law Society, right? The the body oh, right, yeah. governing lawyers in Ontario, where every lawyer, in order to keep his or her license to practice law, needed to tick off a box an attestation that they are uh, personally going to promote and and comply with diversion, equity, and inclusion. Sure. And these well, that, are uh, it's yeah, this na- was, this nakedly was, totalitarian. And she fought. Yeah. She and a bunch of other good people fought the uh, the election for benchers, and they elected enough uh, pro freedom benchers who understand the free society and who understand the importance of free expression and religious freedom, freedom of conscience, etc. There are enough benchers uh, elected to um, to the law society to repeal that. Statement of principle, as they called it, the SOP. Right. What it was was simply the code of conduct technique of SJW infiltration. Essentially, you get the code of conduct. You, that's what they go for. They go for the um, code of conduct through the human resources department. And that's how they get everybody in line. They infiltrate all kinds of organizations, particularly go after private business that way. So anytime you see the words code of conduct, big red flag. Uh, you know that that means you've been infiltrated by the uh, just social justice warriors. Fox Vox Day pointed that out in his book. Uh, social, social, social justice, justice warriors War- never lie. Yeah. Always lie. The, sorry, social justice warriors <laughs> always lie. This is the yeah. uh, uh, this is among the best twenty dollars I've, I've I've spent in my life. It's a it's a super 
book and mm. yeah, I, I say it's it's a must read for anybody that wants to understand what's going on in society yeah. right now with the social justice warriors stripping away our rights and freedoms and destroying mm-hmm. the free society under the banner of diversity equity inclusion yeah. and it's a it's a hard to argue against slogans because they do sound nice uh, I certainly believe in diversity of opinion, diversity of belief, diversity of religious practice, uh, diversity of law schools. Like, you know, it should be legal in Canada to start a Christian law school if Trinity Western University wants to do so. I believe in diversity. But when they say diversity, uh, that's that's a code word for agreeing with their group warfare perspective that that all of society is about power and everything is about men versus women and straights sure. versus gays and lighter skinned people versus darker skinned people and so on. Uh, that's also what they mean by by equity. So you have a never ending power struggle where uh, people like the uh, <laughs> uh, conservative party MP Michelle Rempel in the past week or two uh, uh, apologized for her uh, for being white and cisgender. She actually apologized for... Did she? She did, yeah, publicly. She said, you know, I I am sorry that... I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, I am sorry that I am white and cisgender, which means... um, How did they do that? How did they compel her to do that? Oh, she just caved. She just caved under pressure. Oh, she's one of these cucks, so she... Yeah, okay. There's another great term from Vox Day, cuckservative. I don't think C- he invented it, but he helped, okay. he helped uh, popularize it. Yeah. She uh, she was doing pretty good for a while there, I guess. Uh, she's done have, she's uh, done some uh, great, admirable, and laudable things, but she's really undermined her own uh, commitment to the free society by publicly endorsing this twisted uh, racist political correctness. The mm-hmm. essence of racism is to ascribe to an individual the um, the characteristics of the group. That is, right. and it's not the only way to define racism, but that's that's one of them. So it's it's like, well, you know, you're black, therefore this 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 and this, right? Or you're right. you're white, or you're female. You belong to this group, therefore this 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 and this. So, and that's wrong. Uh, that's totally wrong. And yet that's what this ideology does. Uh, this is why, um, this is going back to 1991. I just watched uh, Created Equal uh, with two of my kids. This is a movie about U.S. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. And Ooh, it's just a fantastic that- movie. It consists of, uh, it's a back and forth. They're interviewing him. And so he speaks. And then they go into uh you know, historical footage about this, that, and the other thing. So it's kind of his his biography interspersed by interviews. And he's a lifelong classical liberal, or in the US and Canada, you would say he's a lifelong conservative. He believes in the free society. He believes in equal opportunity, not necessarily equality of results. Uh, he's against affirmative action, uh, so on and so forth. So when he was nominated to the US Supreme Court by uh, president George H.W. Bush, so George Bush III, who was president from 1988 to 1992, he was Clarence Thomas was nominated to go on the Supreme Court. And the social justice warriors went absolutely ballistic because here was a black conservative stepping out of line. Uh, it's like, you know, if you're black, you're supposed to be in favor of affirmative action and you're supposed to be a Democrat and not if a you're registered not your Republican. Uncle Tom, I think that's the uh, expression that they used back then. I don't know if they still use it. Toss Some it of the most vicious, vicious cartoons. I mean, they had Clarence Thomas uh, portrayed as wearing a KKK outfit. Oh, so yeah. basically mm. saying Clarence Thomas is a vile racist. The, the cartoons and the comments were, were absolutely vicious. And fortunately, uh, after a very difficult ordeal, he was by a Senate vote 52 to 48. His nomination was confirmed and he's been on the U.S. Supreme Court since 1991. And he's a fantastic, uh, justice. So yeah, wise man, wise man, very thoughtful. Great yeah, movie. Definitely. Uh, Created, created equal. Cre- created equal. You can rent it for three days for I forget five, six, seven dollars, or you can buy it for fifteen, whatever. So um, 
uh, definitely worth seeing. Okay, great. Yeah. What were we talking about again? Oh, yeah, right. C36. Okay. <laughs> well, C36, yeah. Safe and inclusive online environment. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, if Canadians don't start seeing through these slogans, uh, our, our society is in is in grave danger already and things will get worse. It's been said that you could lose every right and every freedom, but if you retained freedom of speech, you could use your freedom of speech to win all the other ones back. Okay, so if you if you can imagine a scenario where the government takes away your freedom of religion, freedom of conscience, uh, freedom of movement, freedom of travel, freedom of association, freedom of peaceful assembly, but leaves intact your freedom of speech, you could use your freedom of speech to win all those other freedoms back. Right. But if freedom so of speech is-, is gone, you can't even defend the other freedoms from being taken away. Which is why the powers that be are attacking it here in Canada, for sure. They want the oh, yeah, totalitarianism. Absolutely, it cannot survive if uh, if there's robust freedom of speech in a society. Totalitarianism simply cannot survive. Uh, yeah, and that and look at, that includes COVIDism as well. I mean, it might take oh, yeah. it might take years, but I mean, COVID COVIDism. Uh, as long as we have free speech and we can speak the truth and we can educate people about facts, you know, the fact that. Uh, COVID is like a bad annual flu, like the Hong Kong flu of, um, of 1968, the Asian flu of 1957. If we can educate people about the fact that this is a, um, a bad annual flu, not my opinion, it's what the government data and statistics say. Well, then we can, you know, tear down the totalitarian edifice of, um, of, of COVIDism and we can get our rights and freedoms back and a lot more <laughs> economic prosperity and mental health. We can <laughs> regain yeah. our mental health by, by once again, being able to meet up with friends in person and, you know, go to uh, a full church service if that's your cup of tea. But without free speech, uh, COVIDism will be in power uh, a lot longer, you know, without that freedom to, well, uh, the thing to, about to speak COVID the is- truth. It locks you in your home, but so you can still talk, though. That's what the internet does. It allows you to talk while you're locked up. And yeah. uh, I think that's what they're worried about. But if, if the federal government takes away and, and it, it very, uh, there'll be not much free speech left if, if C36 passes. So then if you've got the provinces locking you up in your house and then you've got the federal government takes away your free speech rights, so you can't really communicate freely on the internet, because this can apply to everything. Every blog, every website, uh, mm-hmm. newsletters that, you know, it's going to apply to the Justice Center's Justice Update newsletter that uh, oh, yeah. uh, that we, well, we send out once every three weeks. What could you do to fight it? Say they pass contact this Contact the Justice Center to no, get no, your I mean, stack if, of, if passed, of brochures. <laughs> is it just court challenges based on constitutionality then and it's back to the courts? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. <sighs> I, I don't see how yeah, if this no. passes, even even in a somewhat toned down version, if this bill passes, I don't see how it would not be taken to court. What is likely to happen, unfortunately, is that one or more groups will uh, challenge it in court without just based on the on its face, based on mm. what the bill says. And that court challenge can succeed. But you tend to be more successful if you have a client who ha- who is being prosecuted under the legislation. That tends to create a much stronger fact scenario, right. uh, and it really drives it home to the judges that oh yeah, people are being prosecuted. Right. It's the same with the health orders. This is why the, right. the the crown is dropping these ticket cases because we're putting before the court here's an individual that got a twelve hundred dollar fine for having been. Uh, Outside on a sunny day, uh, taking part in a in a peaceful rally outdoors, and you put that before the court, and now you've got somebody who's being prosecuted, and now in that context, we're challenging the health orders creates a much stronger case. So mm-hmm. ideally, the the court challenge against Bill C thirty six, if it passes, um, the court challenge would um, would be better and stronger if it featured somebody who was being prosecuted under the legislation. But I, I think what's what's likely to happen is some person or group will just challenge it the moment it's proclaimed into force and take it to court right. immediately. 
which wouldn't be the best. But who knows? Yeah. I mean, we got lots of people that could do that. At any rate, we don't rule the world. We just try to save it. All right, yes. I think we can. <laughs> I think we can call it into episode twenty-five of Justice with John Carpe, and we'll have lots of updates next week. That's for sure. Uh, look forward to talking to you next week. All right, take care. Thanks, Kevin. Take care.